My guest is Stella Creasy. Stella Creasy is MP for Walthamstow in North East London since 2010. And since February of last year, she has been chair of the Labour Movement for Europe. Welcome to the podcast, Stella. Thank you, Paul. We're going to kick off, Stella, uh, although we're going to spend most of the podcast talking about Labour's plans for its relations uh, with the European Union uh, going forward. But to kick off, what is the Labour Movement for Europe? What, what is its role and why did you want to become its chair? So the Labour Movement for Europe is the only affiliated body to the Labour Party concerned with our relationship with Europe and the European Union. Um, that means it has a seat at the table because it's an affiliate organisation. So... In practical terms, in the formal structure of the Labour Party, we have representatives at all levels who are able to be part of decision-making, whether it's on who should be our candidates, part of the policy-making process at the National Policy Forum, and also represented in our local Labour Party meetings in terms of people who can speak up and advocate for policies about being supportive of our relationship with Europe. I want to take that on because two reasons. One, I feel very strongly that Brexit has happened. It's now proving to be a terrible mistake for our country and we therefore have to be clear that addressing the challenges that it has created should be a priority for an incoming Labour government and so we do a lot of work about what those responses should be and how you do that and what the reality of what you can do is um, but also secondly because we are a movement as well as a political organisation and working with other people to make that case is what the Labour Movement for Europe does. We're a membership organisation, so anybody can become a member if they are a member of the Labour Party. That to me is a really important part of the Labour tradition, which is that you achieve more together than you do alone. So being able to organise as well is a critical part of what we do as well as the policy points. What does that mean in blunt terms? It means it's not just me. (laughs) There are lots of MPs who are members of it. We've got now over 50 candidates at the next election who are LME candidates, but we've also got thousands of members across the country who are all taking part in activities, whether they are taking part in debates in their local um, Labour Party about what Labour's policy should be, whether they are campaigning for pro-Labour, pro-European candidates rather, or whether they're part of that policy-making process in the Labour Party. What does, what does it mean to be an LME Labour candidate? Does that suggest that once you in the next parliament in particular when these uh, candidates are elected, they'll have a significant role on, on European policy. What is, I, what is I the I certainly point? hope so. Um, anybody who is a, a Labour Movement for Europe official candidate has been through a hustings with local Labour Party members and they've been very, very competitive to talk about what they think Labour should be doing on our relationship with Europe. Um, so that means you've got a whole bulk of people who've been thinking about this issue. Because it's not simple, is it? Recognising that you can't make Brexit work, it's just a series of problems, is not the same as saying you can undo Brexit. And we're very clear, the Labour Movement for Europe is not a rejoin organisation because, frankly, this country doesn't have the time to indulge in the fantasy about rejoin when thousands of businesses are going to the wall, when jobs are being taken overseas and when all those opportunities are being lost. But what that means in practical terms is you've got a whole bulk of people who have been thinking and working on, well, what could you do instead? Because if we recognise that we can fight many things in life, geography isn't one of them, then what our relationship should be like with our neighbours when it comes to trade, but when it comes to things like climate change, security, refugees, those sorts of issues are going to be paramount in the next um, government, and I certainly hope it's going to be a Labour government, you can solve all of those problems on your own. Let's, let's be clear about that. You can have more trade, you can tackle climate change on your own in the same way that you can tie your shoelaces without using your hands. It's just if you use your hands, if you work with your neighbours, trade, 
security, climate change, equality, all those things would be a hell of a lot easier to tackle. It's not a, a secret that a lot of Labour supporters are passionately pro-European, are mm. unhappy with the Keir Starmer's stance on, on your relations with the European Union, when I say relations with Europe. Um, to what extent do you personally, as Chair but I mean, understand and sympathise with this position, realise it's part of a strategy, or, or, and by extension, what, ex what leeway does that give you, as, through the LME in particular, also as a senior backbencher, to, 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 to make the case in a slightly more uh, assertive way, should we say? So I think we have to recognise just how bad things are. So what environment any new Labour government would be walking into. Um, you know, we got to the point where we had a Prime Minister who was questioning whether the French were our friend or foe. Uh, and indeed, one of the things I'm proudest of as the Walthamstow MP is that the lettuce that outlived Liz Truss was in my constituency. <laughs> but we laugh about it. Our country's standing on an international stage has been decimated by the behaviour of governments over the last 13 years. It's, it's, it's very, very obvious. And I think we have to recognise just how much we had not just practically split ourselves off from our neighbours, but also emotionally and culturally just decimated that relationship and how important that relationship was to our opportunities as a country. So I think, look, I think Keir Starmer is doing absolutely the right thing in trying to rebuild just trust, basic trust and confidence that we mean what we say. You know, two years ago, we had a government that was ripping up an international treaty that it had agreed yeah. with Europe. We cannot underestimate just how frustrated our European colleagues are with us. And, you know, we're not the only thing on their to-do list. Yeah. They've got all sorts of other things happening. Europe is a very different entity to the one that we left already. And they will keep moving on. They've got their own challenges, as, a, as both as nations and as a bloc. So just starting off to go look at, not just we're not, Liz Trust, but actually you can do business with us. It's a really important building block. Absolutely, we want the Labour Party to go further, faster, yeah. because we think the window of making any difference to the damage that has been done is pretty small. That's one of the reasons why we're not focused on things like rejoin, because that is something that, you know, treaty negotiation, what you do about Schengen, what you do about the Euro, years and years of conversations. If you are the businesses right now, facing all that extra paperwork because we left the European Union, looking down the barrel of a £43 per consignment charge, which will come in next year for mm. bringing things into the country, you haven't got that time to wait. You haven't got the luxury of hoping that you've got a government that will take on the rejoin argument. What you need is a government looking at how you can repair as much of the damage as quickly as possible. What does that mean for us? Um, look, absolutely, when Keir talks about having a, a veterinary agreement, that is, that is a good building block. We think we should be prioritising as much direct access to the single market as possible. We think we should be doing things like joining the Pan-European Mediterranean Convention because that helps tackle all the problems and all the paperwork and that customs. comes from the rules of origin. Already people are looking at visas and visa exemptions because it's just so difficult for people now, isn't it, to travel? Yeah. And that makes business harder. Um, we think you need to reform the whole of the visa system. That is very different to freedom of movement because people being able to travel because they've got work or they want to go on holiday or they want to study is different from people being able to live in other countries. Those conversations are not quick conversations, but they are quicker than anything else. And what we want to see now is a Labour government saying, look, absolutely, you can't make Brexit work, but you can solve some of these problems in a way that benefits British jobs and British workers. So let's get on and, and, and sort these problems out. And we think you could do that around the trade and cooperation agreement 
which is going to be renegotiated in 2026. So you need to start those conversations now to right. get to the point where you have a deal you can do then. Well, we'll come to the TCA mm. review in a second, Stella. In the meantime, you talked about rebuilding trust. I mean, apart from being more friendly and, and there's a kind of better vibe out there, clearly between the Labour Party and European friends out there. But what, in concrete terms, what, what are the kind of things that the Labour Party can actually do now almost a year before potentially the next general election or is, is, is the strategy of the Labour Party front bench in particular is to essentially wait for the general election and not give too many hostages to fortune to, their, to its enemies uh, in the run-up to the election? No, look, I think there are two things you could do. One, one is, 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 is about your approach. I mean, sometimes I think British politicians act like they think people in Europe can't read our newspapers. <laughs> you know, the way people talk about Europe is that it has to be a hostile relationship, that we can't find common ground. Um, we talk about Europe as being inflexible when often it's us who are yeah. being inflexible in our demands. So I think there's just a general grown-up approach to working with our neighbours. And actually, Rishi Sunak proved that with the Windsor Agreement, that if you are grown-up about what you want to try and do, you recognise you've got common ground, then you can do a deal with people. People are much more flexible, much more willing to compromise and negotiate. It's when you go into the idea that you've got to go and have a fight in Brussels that people feel, well, hang on a minute, we're trying to do you a favour. So I think there's a general approach, which is why I think it's absolutely right that the Labour front bench has been going around trying to rebuild that relationship, trying to say, hey, we, we value you, we want to work with you, you can trust us. Second point to that, though, is the critical is what are you asking for? And I think what Europe needs to see now from the UK is clarity of purpose. So what actually are we going to use that time for? You said we're going to come on to the TCA. Whatever we do on the TCA is going to take up a huge amount of government time because Europe cut across everything. Yeah. So I think we may as well use that time to best effect. And best effect is being bold about what you're trying to achieve. I think it is important that Europe has a sense of where Labour, if it wins the next election, would want to take the country. Because, as I say, although it's quicker to do the kind of negotiations I've been talking about, there's still a lot of work behind that. So I think it is important that we set out not just that mood music that says we're going to be grown-ups in the room, we don't actually want to fight, we want to see what we can achieve together. And then you say, and how about these areas of policy? Labour is starting to do that. I think it is right to do more of that because it's going to take time to do negotiations to get those things to happen. Well, you'll know that Labour Party has been criticised in many quarters, certainly outside the UK, for exaggerating or even misunderstanding maybe the, the, the importance of the TCA review in terms of it potentially being seen, uh, seen as an opportunity for some kind of renegotiation, whereas a lot of the people in Brussels, certainly the European Commission, say it's a kind of, without being too flippant, a, a box-ticking exercise. It's a review of the implementation of the deal already agreed, right? It is not uh, an opportunity to reopen all these mm. dossiers. So how would you respond to that? And I understand that. My, my point is that if we are serious about wanting to work with Europe, and if we're serious about respecting the time and effort that Europe will have to spend looking at the TCA for us, then let's make it worth both our whiles. Let's look at the problems and challenges that have come up. You know, clearly, charges at the border are going to be in a nuisance for both sides of the arrangement, so it makes sense to look at what we can do to reduce those. Our supply chains that have been so decimated by leaving the European Union are also their supply chains too. So sorting out things like rules of origin rules makes sense for everyone. Where there is a political will, there is a way. And one of the things that I think we as the Labour Movement for Europe have to do in challenging some of the debates that we have in the UK is this idea that Europe is, a, is unbending and it's all yeah. in or all out. 
we've seen from the European Union a willingness to say, not just on the Windsor Agreement, but for example, in the deal they've done with Moldova, to be much more flexible about the single market and how people can interact in it, where there is a common benefit. So I understand and I appreciate people who will say, look, the bare minimum is just checking how the TCA is working. But I actually think for both sides in this equation, there is merit in using the time that will inevitably have to be spent on negotiations to build something stronger. Can we talk briefly also about the, the conventional wisdom, and many people say it's the basis on which Keir Starmer has based his whole EU strategy, if you like, which is that he take the position he has, and until even now, make, make Brexit work. You mentioned the phrase also, that's one, been one of his mantras. However, the, the polling set shows more and more that the red wall voters, uh, at the very least, are, are not happy with how Brexit has gone. Uh, and so this idea, historically, of the Labour Party front bench, we, we should not do anything to alienate our, the key red wall voters we have to win back at the next general election. And therefore, hence, our, our stance on, on the European Union has to be maybe modified because the, the polling is now quite clear, isn't it, that red wall voters and other parts of yep. the country don't prove a Brexit, or at least the way it's being... Labour is seeking national office, which means you have to represent the concerns and interests of the whole nation. The good news is the nation, as a <laughs> to a man and woman, is pretty clear that Brexit doesn't work. That isn't the same as saying they all want the same outcome, the same solution, but it does mean that, frankly, the politicians are a bit behind the public in this, in saying... No, we can see that when people try to blame that on the pandemic, it's not the pandemic. Mm. Yeah, it's not the pandemic putting in the charges and making your kids sit in coaches at the border. It's Brexit. So the, the public want to see solutions to these challenges. And the good, what the good news is, and we've done polling ourselves on this, is that across the country, and particularly in the red wall seats, frankly, those people who signed up to Brexit are the most frustrated right. and therefore the most interested in what you can do to solve those challenges. Nobody wants to go back to divisive referendums. And I, I wouldn't want to be asking Europe to sit through us having a referendum on rejoin, knowing that the country is still very divided, knowing that the country would feel that that would be against a democratic decision, and therefore knowing that even if people feel that Brexit has been a mistake, the destabilising effect of having had that conversation could carry on. You know, I think when we go to Europe, we need to go with a clear plan that we know has got the public support and that will make a direct impact now on the challenges that they're seeing. The good news for us is that the polling that we have done in the red wall seats and indeed the cross country shows the public support that position. So for example, people in the red wall overwhelmingly support being able to get a visa if you've got a job or a study opportunity to go to. At the moment, that's really hard to do. Changing the rules around that, around visas to get there, would benefit Europe, but it would also benefit our citizens too. But on that specific, how easy would it be to change those rules? Do you have any sense that either in Brussels or your EU partners would be open to that kind of discussion? Uh, yes, I do. I think people are open to that discussion. And yes, I think we have to discuss it. And that's what we're doing now as a Labour Movement for Europe. We're saying, look, you can't, we can't treat Europe as some kind of elephant in the room that we can't mm. talk about. Because there are things that we could be doing, yeah. and these are not debates of 2016 and 2019. Mm. Most of the times when I say the Pan-European Mediterranean Convention to even politicians here, people kind of look a bit quizzical. There's plenty of stuff going on that we could be working on that would help British businesses and save British jobs. And I think that's what the priority of the next Labour government should be. And our role as the Labour Movement for Europe is to fill that gap, fill that gap of people's understanding about what is possible, what impact it could have, and why it would make a difference to the challenges that they're seeing now. To be fair, you did acknowledge the role that Rishi Sunlang has played in 
and also being a, one of the grown-ups in the room uh, from the Tory side and the agreement of the Windsor Framework that you mentioned and then the, more recently the Rejoining Horizon Research uh, Programme. Uh, do you see that that's the kind of way we'll be living from now uh, until maybe sometime in the future possibility of rejoining whereby bit by bit we tick, chip away at different things and then we find ourselves almost de facto much more integrated in the European Union Will we again? end up with freedom of movement again but just with more paperwork? <laughs> Who knows? But I, th- I mean, Horizon is a good example, again, where, you know, we spent time, effort and energy and money trying to create our own scheme and then realising we were much better coordinating with Europe. But even now, what we've done on uh, nuclear fusion research will hold us back as a country because we because we put ourselves at a disadvantage in that. And I think the public are much more grown up about this. Because this isn't about whether you're wearing a blue beret with gold stars on. <laughs> this is about the direct impact it's had in a modern world of not being able to coordinate with our neighbours where there is a common interest. I'll give you another good example of this, which is the North Sea Energy Cooperative. You know, energy security and renewable energy is such a critical issue for us right now as a country. It hits people's cost of living. It's cheaper to invest in renewable energy than it is in coal or gas fire. For our children to inherit an earth without a climate crisis, we have to get rid of fossil fuels. It makes sense for us to find ways to make renewable energy as cheap and as efficient as possible. And, you know, the sea is something we share. So the North Sea Energy Cooperative, where you are sharing investment in renewable energy and in windmills and all the things and, and, and um, water power, absolutely in our national interest it makes us less dependent on gas and therefore less 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 liable to whatever putin might do it helps cut our bills and it helps us tackle the climate crisis that we're facing we've just got to get on and be part of it and do it and yet for some reason we're not but we can do that obviously short of joining rejoining the eu those are all things that we could be doing and they are about the benefits of cooperation and look one of the things i think people like me have to take responsibility for was the campaign to stay in the European Union was very much led by a small seat conservative vision of it ain't broke, don't fix it. But things were broken, things are broken in this country and it became a cipher for people's sense that the country was in the bad place and we should blame somebody else for it and at that point it was Europe, subsequently it's been refugees and it'll be trans people, it'll be people on benefits, we've all seen this divisive politics. We need a modern progressive vision of why you collaborate. What are the benefits of working with our neighbours? And it's not just because things like pollution don't respect border. Yeah. It's because of the opportunities that come when you can bounce off each other. You know, individually as a nation, we can have a series of arguments about what we might want to do about AI, for example. Yeah. But collectively, we've got so much more power to be able to change things. I call it the Apple charger effect. Because um, Apple, big international conglomeration, is making decisions that directly affect my life and I suspect yours, because yeah. you probably carry around countless yeah. pieces of wire with yeah. us because we're beholden to this. And individually, we can do very little to change that. But if we have collective organising and collective bargaining, we can tell Apple to stop ripping us off. Yeah. And indeed, that's what the European Union has done. And frankly, we'll, we'll benefit from that in the UK. But we weren't in the room to be able to be part of that conversation in the first place. So if nothing else from this conversation, next time you look at your Apple charger, <laughs> that is a really good example of why we should collaborate. Young people, uh, the opinion polls show as if we needed to be told that... The- the young people in Britain are overwhelmingly pro-European, they're overwhelmingly pro-Labour if they go out to vote. Um, to what extent is a danger that the Labour Party is ignoring that big chunk of, a growing chunk of the ele- British electorate and, and taking them for granted and not sufficiently taking on board the, the very strong European views that this increasingly important part of the electorate have? 
So I, I don't think the Labour Party is ignoring any vote. I mean, every time I go out campaigning, when they are fighting for every single vote everywhere. I also have to be have to recognise, much as I'm chair of the Labour Movement for Europe, Europe and Brexit isn't something that's coming up directly. No. What's coming up are the impacts of Europe. So obviously it's affected our cost of living because it's more expensive to import things into the UK. So food prices have gone up and people are talking about the cost of living crisis. That is why the responsibility on people like me is to join those dots and help people see that. Um, I do think there is a challenge for all of us about what that modern progressive relationship with our European neighbours were on. I was just doing a, a television programme this morning with a Conservative MP who was bemoaning the fact that, you know, the, the Refugee Convention was written at a time, you know, it wasn't a time when there were thousands of people travelling around the world. And I was like, yes, yes, there absolutely were. You know, every generation has to rethink the challenges that they're facing because otherwise this generation will forget why we got to the point where we had international treaties to manage how you dealt with refugees because we've forgotten the second world war and the persecution that took place then and this is a generation which i think what happened during the brexit referendum was people didn't have the conversation that we needed to have about why we could cooperate in the 21st century as opposed to in the 20th century that it wasn't about a single, although obviously we've now got Putin, it wasn't about a single threat of war, but it was about a combined set of challenges and how quickly we could work. Within that process, I agree with people when they say that the way in which we do government is very out of touch, it's very elite, it doesn't connect with people. That for me isn't an argument for separation, that's an argument for, re for reformation of how you work. And I think this younger generation are much more in tune and alive to the possibility of collaborating with people thousands of miles away yeah. on something but they are more skeptical of what we would think of as traditional democratic structures right. and i think what we've got to get right is how those connect yeah. together so i'm a big fan i'm a labor and co-op mp i'm a big fan of grassroots participatory processes and i think those can be done um at a in an international level too and I think if we can be part of that future conversation about what are the mechanisms of accountability and engagement, because accountability is one thing, but engagement is something different for how you change things. You know, you think about the climate crisis, look, governments can and should be passing laws, but citizens are going to have to lead different lives too. And the life that a citizen in Brussels, as well as in Beijing and Birmingham lives, are all going to interact with each other because fundamentally, if we don't reduce the amount of, of fossil fuels that we're using across the world, we're all going to feel the impact of it. This is a generation that wants change, it wants to campaign for change, but is finding our democratic processes wanting in being able to express that. That's not just a challenge for Europe, it's a challenge for the UK too. My argument is that we can rebuild that, and we can rebuild that in the UK, but we can also rebuild that in our relationship with our European counterparts. And in fact, if we don't, our opportunities for changing the things these people care about will be limited too. Right. A final question, mm. Stella. Uh, very much the theme of this chat has been cooperation, collaboration. And maybe give a flavour, especially to our non-British uh, listeners, of what a, a future Labour government would, uh, how it would behave when it comes to a relationship with the, the EU and, and the member states. Uh, a lot of people say, what's missing? Uh, even people who are sort of agnostic on the issue say, what's missing uh, without being too bureaucratic are opportunities for more structured dialogue in all different policy areas, especially foreign security policy, which we haven't really talked about, and all the things you have talked about in the last 25 minutes or so. Do you, even though nothing's set in stone, I'm sure, but could you give a flavour of how you, think, how you think a new Labour government should or is already thinking about how to have more structured discussions, cooperation with the EU? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a given, especially with some of the security challenges that we're facing right now, that we should be hosting conferences about security. We should be looking at what we can, you know, collectively, standing up to Putin is just the start of addressing some of the security challenges we face. I'm very mindful that the situation in Israel, Gaza, is causing a huge amount of distress, rightly so, in this country. And yet our capacity to be honest brokers and put pressure on both the Israelis and all those people who can put pressure on Hamas, you know, the Qataris, the Saudis, is limited by the fact that we're not in the room. And we yeah. were in the room before. And indeed, the Europeans have said that, have said, you know, we miss your voices being in there with us. So I think at a very starting point, we should be looking to do much more shared cooperation about security policy, about how we can apply pressure around the world on the challenges that might not be on our doorstep, but are affecting our country. Um, I think you can apply that principle as well on things like um, climate change. It's embarrassing that our Prime Minister has just been at COP trying to argue that our approach to net zero is leading the world, when our approach to net zero is, is, you know, is, <laughs> is actually to, to, to junk it, according to him. But actually, we could be talking to our European counterparts about things like energy production, about the jobs that are coming online as a result of that. Um, another one I would add to it that I think is, is one that I would hope to see an incoming. I remember I'm just a backbencher. I am, I'm a humble backbencher in all of this, um, but is around refugees. Right. And, and frankly, I would say even when we were part of the European Union, that was a point where we failed to use those levers to address the challenge that is now 10 times worse. So the pressure on individual European countries, whether it was Greece and France, was disproportionate, and Italy, because other nations didn't pull together. And I feel very strongly, as somebody who then also served on the Council of Europe, um, that we didn't do enough to hold each other to account, but also to work out how to make this work. And we are are seeing the consequences of that now. One of the things I I very much worry about, and one of the reasons why I think it's so important that Europe is front and centre of how the UK presents itself under the next Labour government, is the drift towards right-wing yeah. and far-right policy-making in Europe, which will have an impact mm. on us. Um, and you can already see that in how people are approaching the refugee crisis, mm. trying to find somebody else to push the problem onto, yeah. rather than saying, actually, collectively, we can manage this together. So what does that look like? I think you could see that happening on a number of challenges. I think you could see that happening on security issues as well, and that would be to all our detriment. Getting the UK to be back... Not, we're not going to be in the room. We're not members of the European Union anymore. I keep saying to people, there's not Remainers and Leavers. We, we, we left. Yeah. Um, but being able to have those bilaterals, being able to have those conversations, I think is in real interest to progressive policy making across the whole of Europe too. And for us to come as a counterbalance to some of the trends that we're seeing taking place right now across Europe, which I think are very worrying. Well, we have to leave it there. Yeah. Stella Creasy, thank you very much for your time. No.